0: This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch Sci-Fi, Fantasy, and everything in between.
1: This week, where ich zitiere wortwörtlich, was ich in der heutigen Staatszeitung lese. In 120 Tagen ist unser erstes Raketenflugzeug Integral vollendet. Es naht die große historische Stunde, da sich der Integral in den Weltraum aufschwingen wird. Vor einem Jahrtausend haben eure heroischen Vorfahren diesen Planeten dem einzigen Staat untertan gemacht. Ihr seid es, deren gläserner elektrischer Feuerspeiender Integral die unendliche Gleichung des Alts integrieren wird. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the one and only podcast of the One State. I'm Luke here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan?
0: You know, I didn't really have anything real uh, because as we're going to talk about, there's no real like English quotes here, and I'm not going to do German. But there was um, a very poetic line I found in this, um, and I actually think it'd be a better title than than "were" or "we," which is someone was talking about the past and how humanity was, and they said the wild echoes of the apes, and I went, "That's a great title. That should be the title of the book right there." Wild echo of the apes. The
1: wild echo of the apes. I wish you would have done it in German though.
0: Yeah, I should have. I should have tried to, you know, do it, but eh, I don't think anyone
1: wants to hear it. Well, this week we're watching a 1982 German TV movie, Weir. Weir, yeah, it's a pretty good pronunciation. Uh, and of course, Weir means we in English, Jordan, which you already knew, I'm sure. Yeah, I did, yeah. But you know, I'll, I'll
0: say I uh, wasn't familiar with uh, either this program or the book that it's based on. Were you? I was not. I was not. Uh, it's interesting. I'm sure you looked into the book a little bit. Yeah, so it's written by – and I'm sorry if I pronounced this wrong because I wasn't – also kind of embarrassing. I wasn't uh, familiar with this writer at all, but uh, it's a Russian writer named uh, Yek-gevny, Yek-gevny, uh Zamyatin. Is that how you pronounce it, do you think, Luke?
1: I think it's pretty close. You have Yekhevny you Zamy, Zamyatin, something like that. I, I'm doing a worse job I, than you. yeah. Um, Anyways,
0: he um, wrote several novels uh, through his life, as with some other works. Um, And this is based on a book that was published in, I think it was 1920 or 1921, um, but it was published in other places um, other than his uh, home country or home state, whatever you want to call it, which was at that time the Soviet Union. Um, And so, uh, because it was a banned book. Because as we're going to talk about, uh, this is quite very obviously a critique of um, what had become of Russia at this time period after the, uh, the Russian revolution.
1: Absolutely. Though it is interesting to see how the Germans adapted it to their own particular, uh, socio-political issues later. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very early example of, uh, like future dystopias in literature, apparently. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but I, I saw a few places where, uh, I guess many people have noted similarities between it and, uh, uh, Atlas Huxley's Brave New World.
0: Yeah, and and a little bit of uh, nineteen eighty four too. It's if you like those books and those types of stories, that's what this is in vain of.
1: Yes, yes, but apparently Huxley has denied there was any influence on Brave New World uh, quite repeatedly and adamantly.
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's interesting. I feel in some ways, and maybe this is unfair because I haven't read the book, but in some ways, this is does seem like a paler version of. Of something like Brave New World, but it also came out earlier. So it's like, eh, I don't know. They get dibs.
1: Well, I I saw a quote by your favorite, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, who was uh, talking about his uh, book, Player Piano, Mm -hmm. in which he said that uh, he, quote, cheerfully ripped off the plot to Brave New World, whose plot had been cheerfully ripped off of We.
0: Well, I can't disagree with Vonnegut, so so I'll go with that. If he says it, it's true. There you go. But but it is an interesting concept. And as we've we've said, it's in that dystopian uh, satire of authoritarian governments and and the society that is created under those governments.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But this time in the future, like always, I guess it's always in the future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's always in the future of like what would have happened if this keeps going in this direction.
1: Well, Jordan, I'm not sure if you noticed this when you were looking into the movie, but uh, apparently uh, the novel Wii is being adapted one more time this year. It's going to be remade as a Russian film this year. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, I didn't see it. Be interested to see what they do with it in 2023. Because, I mean, I, I'm sure you'll agree. You can feel it's a little dated in its critiques because it's just, uh, you know, we're we're 100 plus years out from the writing of this novel. So, while it's still interesting and, like, you could see a lot of what media has taken from it over the over the course of 100 years, it definitely feels a bit dated.
0: It does. I would agree with that. And that's, I guess, uh, to my comment earlier with um, specifically Aldous Huxley and, and that sort of thing. Um they all, to some extent, you know, some of these brilliant ideas over time seem a little bit less brilliant, not to take away from um, the writing. But yes, this does feel, in some ways, the ideas are slightly dated, and I would say more so <laughs> the production value of this uh, uh, this very low-budget TV is very dated.
1: Well, Jordan, you, uh, should we get into it? Yeah, let's talk about it. Here's the INDB summary for Weir. Based on the novel... By Yevgeny Zamyantin. Oof, trying it anyway. A vision of a united totalitarian state, a world of quadratic harmony and gr- blue gray conformity.
0: Mm, I think that's, I mean, it gives you the basic overview. It doesn't really tell us too much of what the plot is in this, but um, one thing we should note right off the bat is uh, in both the book and in this TV movie adaptation, Almost all of the characters have, uh, like, number designations as opposed to names uh, because I think that's too individual. So they just have code names. So I think our main character is called D-503. That's uh, right. Which that's I don't right. know. Are we, are we going to call him that through the, throughout this? We can just call him D. D.
1: Maybe that's a good way. Yeah. Uh, yes. But it all takes place in a entirely glass city uh, sealed off from the rest of the world um, called the One State. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it seemed like this was problematic, but, uh, I don't know if glass is the
1: greatest choice. Well, I mean, I think, the I think it's on purpose as there's supposed to be no privacy. There's supposed to be watching you at all times. I realize that I realize, but I was just like, guys, I don't know. It's
0: only going to take a rock or two. <laughs>
1: But yeah, so I like the sets for this. Actually, I know you were saying they're a bit dated, but for for a very low budget TV movie, I thought they did a nice job. Like it's what you see is like our lead character in his apartment, but we see everyone else in their apartments around him at the same time, and certainly has the sort of aesthetic of a of a live stage show happening. But they've um, used sort of green screen and early '80s chroma key to kind of build in backgrounds and add like kind of a a surreal or like. Um, very uncanny feeling to it by adding like additional uh, duplicates of the screen behind it. So it's an interesting, interestingly used set anyway. Yeah,
0: I would say uh, the thing I thought was the most interesting is the, and sorry, what what's the technology? It was like a green screen type.
1: Yeah, a like chroma key, I think was what they called it.
0: Right, yeah. And and I thought that was cool. Like, it's, does it look dated? Yes, it does. But I think the effect is interesting. And it's a good use of a clearly smaller budget to go, well, how do we make it look like there's much more people in this in a line? Well, we'll just kind of key them in there in the back. It did make me laugh because there's some exercise scenes where it's supposed to be a huge line of people exercising in unison. And there's clearly a couple of actors that are not doing the motion in time. And it made me laugh just because I was like, oh, guys, this I guess you had one take and that was it. But um, <laughs> but for the for the most part, I think you're right. It It's you have to forgive a little bit. It looks like a stage play. Um some of the effects look better than others there's there's another thing later on where there's like a house that's supposed to be in like some sort of glass dome and it's very clearly just a like bowl glass bowl that's just been turned upside down
1: yeah yeah i i think, i thought it was all well quaint quite uh quite arresting at the same time like it has its own visual style that i i've never seen before
0: yeah it is yeah i, I would give it that it's they've they've tried to do as much as they can with the budgetary restraints they have and so it has a very minimalist look um, but a very kind of still futuristic interesting uh, very cold look to it I think that's fine I I would say as we get into it that's you can forgive that I think the pacing is a little bit of a bigger issue because this first like 30 minutes I was like okay let's just let's let let me get into this world a little bit more.
1: Well, this world of the one state is uh, obviously a totalitarian government, and it's under the, under the watchful eye of the Guardian. He, uh, mm-hmm. he watches over them. He's kind of their, their head of state, and they're always talking about kind of like doing what the Guardian needs. And there's quite a few references to uh, Taylorism throughout this. I, I think they talk about the That's exercise right. scenes. Do you know, do you know Taylorism? No, I wasn't familiar with it. It's a, it's a reference to a scientific management technique developed by an American named Frederick Wilson Taylor in 1909 to uh, maximalize economic output by labor, essentially. So, and it's still in use today. Like He's still apparently quite influential. And it's just the idea being like, how can we squeeze every penny out of every drop of labor? Yeah. And so the representation of this
0: is, as I said, you have lines of people... Uh, that are taking time out of their day, and everything is regulated in this world. So, we see everything from, you know, uh, seemingly hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people, all doing exercise not only at the exact same time, but in unison, in line. We see everyone eating in unison, in line to a metronome, where they're chewing with each uh, with each beat on the metronome. And it's a it's a nice, I think, visual way to show not only uh, the system, like you're saying, but also. I'm just how uniform and just how regulated everything is in this world.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, because obviously the original book in 1971 or 1921 is going to be a, a bit of a critique on communism, probably, or the totalitarian version of it in Russia at that point. And obviously mm-hmm. the German version is, is going to be a bit of a critique on, uh, on Nazism, for sure. We can see it throughout it. But there's also a critique of, uh, clearly in the original book, of capitalism itself. So it's a, it's a pretty broad-spanning reach to like hit all, all these ideologies mm-hmm. in one book, or at least uh, in this TV movie version of it we've watched
0: and and let me let me stop as we're going through the plot of this. Obviously this is a very um uh, uh it's lighter on plot and heavier on uh moral ideas and philosophical ideas. It's very German. It's yeah, it's very German. So now in terms of an entertainment value as you're watching this, did that come into play at all while you're watching this uh, and as affecting where you're watching it or you're just like I understand what this is. This is a uh uh politically driven uh program where they're gonna h- hit you with these ideas
1: yeah i mean it's no water What was that show water world what did we just watch river, river world. world it's no river world with its tightly packed politically intriguing uh, drama that really keeps you to your seat but uh yeah i mean i think very early on i realized I'm like okay this isn't going to be like a north american version of uh, of this movie where it's just like all action all the time so you kind of have to like get into uh, a a bit of a zone to get into this because it certainly is more about conversation it's clearly I think a pretty faithful adaptation of the book I would guess Mm -hmm. so they're they're really spending the time to get into like more of the ideas behind it and people's thoughts on the world and you're not really being moved along by plot you're being kind of moved along by other forces right
0: Um, do you want to talk about our, our lead character
1: yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're almost there. We're almost getting into the plot. Eh? <laughs> sure, it's a lot of setup. There's a lot of explanation, I think, to like get you get you situated into this world. Um, but yes, the plot of this does focus on the one and only mathematician of the one state, D five hundred three, as you said. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just call him D for sake of simplicity. He's a thirty two year old man, which was a huge shock to me. Yeah, well, we were watching it,
0: and I just laughed because obviously both of us are older than than thirty two, and I was like. He's 32. He looks like he could be my
1: dad. I mean, it, this is a different time. We've we've noted this before in some of these shows. Mm-hmm. When you find out what someone's age, you're like, oh, you aged much, much harsher 40 years ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, hey, Luke. On that on that note, or not really on that note, I'm going to take it in a different direction. We do see this guy naked. We see a lot of people naked. Is this the most nudity we've ever seen in a show?
1: That's true. A lot of nudity in this uh, particular TV movie. Well First for us, uh, full frontal all around.
0: Yeah. There's 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 no. Uh, uh, you don't have to worry. It's it's male and female. You get to see everything. If that's if that if that's what you're tuning in
1: for. You were pretty upset. You're like, not on my TV. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I was like, I put my hand up. And I was like, never again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well uh d he has been building a spacecraft for the one state um essentially the one mm-hmm. state is planning to become a bit of uh, interestingly enough kind of like the federation in star trek they're going to go out there they're hoping to find alien life out there and once they find them they're going to uh free that alien life of quote the primitive condition of freedom to bring them under the beneficial yoke of reason mm-hmm
0: which again is the sort of ideology behind all of this everything has to have a um maybe utilitarian is not the word but everything has to have a logical reason for what is done for the reason um it's performed whether it's um a poem or it's a song or it's um, a conversation everything has to have a purpose so that's what they're trying to uh push out to the rest of the world and seemingly out into space too
1: yeah, there's a long while along the top about how they're going to go to space and bring us to aliens. And I was just like, "Oh wow, really? Really reaching for the stars?" Which was a weird thing because
0: it does do you think in this in this uh, uh, world in this story they have already come in contact with aliens or they're just hopeful? No,
1: I I think it's maybe just kind of in it's just like there are aliens out there. Don't worry about it. We'll find them. <laughs> okay. Uh, the ship is called the Integral, mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically ready to launch. Like they're getting ready for the first test flight. So that's a lot of what the plot is about. It's like preparing for the first test flight of the Integral. And I was curious. Do you think it's an all glass spaceship? We don't see it. Oh no, we do no, see we it. It's just a rocket.
0: <laughs> it's just a rocket. Well, it's not entirely clear. They show it as like a like test thing before. So and it just looked like it. Well, obviously, it was just stock footage. But it's just a rocket. Although. The one I thought it was weird. We're jumping ahead a little bit, um, but when we finally do get to the rocket near the very end of this, and he goes into a different sort of like the base, the the part where they're um, running some sort of mechanics for uh, where it's going to launch, it wasn't a glass world at all.
1: Well, I mean, you have to forgive them. They clearly went to a power a power station of some sort to make it look a little more uh, like dynamic. But uh, what are you going to do? You can't you can't afford to glass that in. I'm just saying. If you
0: if you want to go have some smooching time and you don't want people to see, go over to where the rocket's being built.
1: <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, D, of course, is a true believer in the one state and the benefits benefits of total conformity. Throughout it, we'll see him using. This is kind of, I guess. Um, bit of the structure of the the movie, but he'll be using a dictaphone in his room to write a record of his own experiences in the one state. Um, This is to be included on the uh, Integral. Um, What they sort of lay out is that the Integral is going to go up, they're going to find aliens, and uh, one of the things they want to do is fill the Integral Kind of like a Voyager satellite with stories from Earth about how great it is to be involved with in the One State. Sort of soft diplomacy when they meet aliens before they just go in and like use their weapons to force them into uh, conformity. But this is the idea. Right. Throughout this, throughout the TV movie, he's going to be recording these little snippets of his record, a record he calls "We" or "We Are." So that's where the title comes from. His his record is this record we're watching.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So, and I believe. Um, and someone who has read the book, and I apologize if I'm, I'm uh, incorrect here, I believe the book is written in that first person narrative, is, is how this story is told, and which is sort of what they're trying to play with um, in how they're presenting this story. In the movie, because everything's pretty much from his perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it provides a quick moment where he can reiterate where he is in his journey, like when he's, as he's becoming affected by the people he meets and the uh, new ideas he encounters, it allows them to go back to his dictaphone and tell us, the audience, what on earth is going on. Right, right. At any rate, Dee is interrupted from his usual r- routine when uh, he receives an order to come visit the ancient house that's the domed-in house we see. It's like kind of like a two-story Victorian, but under a, under a mixing bowl. It was weird because
0: at first – and it's just – you don't want to be critical of the effects too much, but I wasn't sure because of how they looked. I thought maybe it was like a digital representation because it sort of looked like they went behind a curtain-type thing or a projection. So that's what I thought it was, and I was like, oh, no, it's a real house that they've put a jar around,
1: sort of like a snow globe-type situation. That's correct, right? Yeah, yeah. They basically have domed off an old house, a place to visit the old world, basically. It's very funny. She, he's there because he's meeting a woman named I-330 or I, as we'll call her. And um, in this world, in the one state, any person or as they're called in this numbers, they're called numbers, not people, Jordan, mm-hmm. can request a sexual <laughs> liaison with someone else if they use a pink coupon. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so they um uh, that's used as, again,
0: a way to show the level of control they have that uh, it's not so much that. Uh, Sexuality is only used for uh, procreation It's mostly used for that But regardless of whether you want to have uh, A sexual experience with someone That has to be organized and uh, regulated Through whatever body of government is is organizing Whatever bureaucratic organization is uh, is doing that
1: It's funny you mention it I would say that in this world It's not even used that much for procreation It seems to be mostly used for pleasure Because there's a lot of sex in this uh, little TV movie (laughs)
0: Well, that's why I mentioned it, because they do. there is a line later on where he's with someone and they mention their duty um, is, is regarding procreation. Um, but then it does seem like they're just like later on, they're just like clearly people are just like, hey, like there's a thing where another guy he's kind of friends with, I guess. And they're just like, hey, well, I was with her tonight and you can have her tomorrow night. And it was just like, OK, well, it seems like they're just like swinging.
1: at any rate I has requested that Dee join her at the ancient house um and uh They're there. They're looking around. And what we can learn from this is that this relic of this house is is from the life before they moved to the glass world uh, Mm -hmm. after or before the 60 minute war happened, essentially is what they say. So there was clearly some sort of massive nuclear war. Everything was wiped out in 60 minutes. And the the one state is the last remaining uh, state. I believe at some point they say that the one state's been around for a thousand years or more.
0: Yeah, it's something to that effect. It's been it's been long enough that it's been generation after generation after generation. So there is no real memories of these of these places and things and thoughts other than what is being presented uh, by the state.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can come see the Glaston House, the ancient house under the bowl, where you'll uh, where you'll meet Grandma. She's waiting there in her cosplay as a old timey lady. Well, that's that's right. I mean, you joke, but it essentially is what it is. It's
0: it's a, a museum for all intents and purposes. Um, used by the state to explain how bad things were before because of all the things that weren't controlled. Um, Everything from something small, from like clothing to um, this sort of ornamentation to uh, larger ideas. Um, And it's presented as a look how bad things were. Although I think inherently it's undercut a little bit when you see how nice the place is.
1: (laughs) But if you only knew glass rooms, you'd be like, oh, how ugly. No glass rooms. I suppose that's true. It's like, oh, privacy?
0: That would be terrible when I poop.
1: <laughs> Jordan, I know you'd love to see what's going on in, with everybody's poop. Well, I wouldn't want to see what's going on with
0: everyone's poop. I mean, I would. But I, I, I wouldn't push on it. But it would be more that, like, I wouldn't be able to get any work done. I'd be distracted at all times by it, <laughs> by i am like, look at that guy over there. What's he
1: doing? What's he talking about?
0: Glass walls. You know? Well, this
1: woman, I, uh, she's a bit of a femme fatale. She doesn't know D that well. I think they know each other from the morning exercises, but that's about it. They don't typically have these kind of liaisons. D typically has a, another lady he's into that they they hang out mostly when they use their pink coupons. So he's a little surprised to be been called out by her to the ancient house. Um, but she is there because she really wants to tempt the true believer D with sort of new ideas, and she sort of talks about. Every time they get together, like heretical ideas of individuality, she like plies him with illegal liquor and cigarettes. Like it, she's really expanding his uh, horizons and like introducing him to new ways of thinking, and that's that's the core of it. Is as a sort of femme fatale, she's uh, sort of pulling him out of his shell and leading him into dangerous territory.
0: Yeah, and she's doing it both uh, through sexuality because she's tempting him physically, but also tempting him mentally and spiritually through these ideas that, um, as we learn, are very, very difficult for him to come around to, which I thought was a good character arc for him and an interesting thing, because it wasn't like suddenly he's like, yeah, you're right, I should smoke a cigarette. It's it's so ingrained and so difficult for him to overcome that it's, at points, it seems almost painful for him, because it is, it would be the difference of, you know, learning that we can't breathe oxygen. It's its that extreme for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and despite this resistance he's putting up, Dee slowly does start finding himself thinking differently. We see that when he's doing his dictaphone work. Um, and he ends up going to see a doctor about it. And the doctor diagnoses him with having developed a soul. That's right. I love that. Um,
0: and I'll say a couple things. One, everyone in this is, is very, um, I think, quite uh, purposely, I don't want to say bland, but very... Um, automated uh, as as that is what's uh asked for of them in the people in the society except for the doctor who's like he's so over the top and so expressive and expansive in everything he does I was like oh this doctor's uh he's he's given away his secret real quick but um <laughs> but uh yes the do- I, I did like that too that he's just like oh you got a classic case of the soul well,
1: that's it's terminal
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's good. is this the seed I I think I think it's this or it's the second seed where we have the doctor is it this one, Luke? Where the other guy
1: comes in? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what they're talking about. This that he may have developed a soul. Another doctor comes in. They begin talking about how it's a bit of an epidemic. They don't. They're not talking about it publicly, but it seems to be uh, this soul seems to be spreading through society, and it's become a real problem. This this other doctor, he's uh, he comes in. He, he's not. He's not really into it, but he's just like. He's pretty sure it's a result of uh, the human imagination being the problem, and he's he's been working on a way of uh, trying to get rid of it, but he hasn't quite figured it out yet. But he does have a great set of X-ray glasses he uses to uh, look inside of G. Like he puts on these big big sunglasses. He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you should give your body to science. It's real interesting.
0: Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it's like these um, uh, just like overly large black sunglass goggles. Um, that I had a chuckle about. Um, it looks like for anyone else I had laser eye surgery For anyone else who has that They look exactly like The recovery glasses They give you Or at least they did I don't know if they still do But they, they look just like that So that's why I, I, I was personally invested In the joke <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that you think It was a joke <laughs> Well, well,
0: I know it was a joke, but for me it was a joke and it and it made me made me chuckle. But Luke, do you remember exactly what this other doctor said? I remember he had said some said something about donating his body. He was like, "Do you ever thought about like uh being preserved in whiskey?" It was something to that effect. Do you remember exactly what it was?
1: Yeah, he was just saying it's like it would be great very beneficial to the state to have your body under under uh, yeah, like preserved for us to study for the rest of time. I think because I guess he can look inside and it's like, mm, I see that souls developing in there. We can really <laughs> yeah. use some uh, souls to look at in here." Yeah, and the other
0: doctor, essentially, you know he's got some sort of ulterior motive. He's like,
1: no, 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 don't don't
0: preserve him. We could use him for something else. And they're like, all right, I guess we'll let him go.
1: Well, he makes a good point. He's just like, this is the only mathematician we have, and he's building that spaceship, so we need him around.
0: Yeah, it does seem like maybe a bad idea on the states part to only have one person who uh, knows what he's doing in terms of uh, uh, the mechanics and the calculations of said rocket.
1: I mean, I guess he has that assistant we sometimes see. So maybe that guy could just step up. <laughs> maybe. At any rate, D is invited back by I to the ancient house one more time, and when he goes, he can't find her, but he does discover a hidden staircase in the wardrobe in the bedroom, which leads him to the basement. Um, in which, in the basement, there's been all these breaches to the glass wall, which he's never seen before. But apparently, the, there are breaches outside the outside world. Well, we think is supposed to be deserty. When we see out the w- out the walls, is is quite a quite a lush green forest, actually.
0: Well, there's a there's a couple things I want to say. And one is when he first goes down to the basement. Uh, there's a ping pong table there, table tennis, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I started laughing because my hope was this whole thing was predicated on just needing to bring back ping pong, and and it was just going to be like. That was what was going to save society. It was just everyone's going to start playing ping pong. And I just, I was hoping and desperate for it, but it's just some set deck. But yes, uh, you are right to the actual plot involved here. Um, the basement just looks like your sort of everyday kind of cellar basement. And there's a couple like holes he can look through and you're right. You see these lush forests. But what I like is <laughs> the first thing he looks out, uh, I it's the first or second thing. I think it's the first um, where it's like just people having a picnic and there's like, a naked lady sitting at the picnic for reasons because they're German
1: or something. No. Well, it's supposed to look like an oil painting. It's supposed to look like an oil painting. You'd see in a museum of people at a park and one of them's dude. It's just supposed to be artistic. I think.
0: Okay. And then, and then later on when he looks out, I don't know if it's here or later, but he looks out and it's just like a guy playing like a guitar by bonfire. And there's like ducks around and stuff. I'm like, "Eh, I guess that's very
1: pastoral yes yes well what he what he's kind of discovering here is that people from the city have been sneaking out for a while there There's holes in the in the glass wall that he wasn 't aware of mm-hmm. and out in the world they're not the only people there's There's what they call the forest people out there very it's you know very very hippie, they look like there's hippies in the woods yeah. playing guitars around a fire for sure, but the idea of being there's other people living free lives out in the world and and the glass some of the some of the people in the glass city have started to discover this, hence the uh, quiet revolution that's kind of happening in and amongst the glass city he's starting to like find out about and they even mentioned that um because later
0: on we're gonna see the food they eat which seemed just to be like black beans i think they named it but um uh, it was referred like to it is
1: something uh, i looked up the word and it's just oil essentially it's supposed to be like a kind of like black goopy oil
0: right so you know the the idea that they're all eating this exact thing it's probably just some sort of protein um that will keep them Somewhat healthy, but there's no enjoyment in eating. There's no uh, various flavors or anything. Well, and, and if you at, think at one point, point just parts
1: of a machine. It makes sense. That it looks like oil, like black goopy oil. Right.
0: But when we see the the forest people, um, uh, there's a line from I. Is that what we're calling her I? Um, uh, she's she's like yeah, and they just like live off nature and uh, they eat from the trees and the animals and all this. I was like, yeah, okay, all right. They're doing. It didn't look like they had too much out there, but I'll,
1: I'll allow it. They're eating apples. Jordan's more of a glass city man. He's not going out for those uh, forest <laughs> people. He's Like, mm, I think glass city's got it figured out. No, no, it out. it's it sounds
0: better. I just don't know how they're butchering animals and stuff out there. <laughs>
1: we just didn't see that
0: part of the world. That's true. It's it's. He's like, you guys want to show me what's what's happening over there in that that factory that smell of blood? They're like, no, 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 don't look over there. Look at the trees, the trees. He's like, but, <laughs> but you guys have a have a have a a. Uh, 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 some sort of roast here. They're like, no, no, no,
1: don't worry about it. It it falls off the trees, too. I essentially comes in from the forest to, to meet D. now that he's seen this, like, outside world, and uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of time passes. We're, we're condensing the timeline of this movie, but essentially, I reveals to D that uh, these dissidents uh, who have been sneaking out to see the outside world, they, they're, they've started coming together. There's a loose organization of them. You, you see they've been hanging posters around the city, demanding destruction, and, like, their big goal here is to commandeer the spacecraft that D has built this is the big reveal essentially is that I has been sort of seducing him with the intent of taking the spacecraft over and using it as a weapon against the one state which is uh, Mm -hmm. quite disheartening for D because he's you know started developing feelings for I and now he's feeling all kinds of new things about individuality and freedom and he's just and he discovers kind of that his work is just wants to be used to destroy the one state the thing he loves so much so he, he's a bit torn by sort of this discovery that uh, this is all part of part of a larger plan to, to end the one state
0: and that he's being used uh, quite explicitly right it's like it's not so much that he's you know the chosen one or uh, his skills are so needed for their purpose it's that you know he's so close to
1: what they need which is this rocket mhm mhm and uh he's not sure what to do so he keeps going to work he keeps going about his business and when he's at work he talks to one of his uh one of his lackeys there and the lackey's telling him the test is about ready to go um but they've had to postpone the flight abruptly and um D not sure why he's ready to go. He's ready for this flight. and He's a little annoyed that the one state is delayed. It. And he just, and he's told that the one state doesn't want to sh- do the test yet because they've just discovered a way to finally destroy the final obstacle to happiness. Um, and that is to burn off a knot at the base of your brain that eliminates imagination. So they found a cure for the soul. That's right. So
0: they're basically doing a form of
1: uh, uh, lobotomy on
0: people on the um, what do you call it? What's that part of your brain? The uh, yeah. medulla
1: oblongata.
0: Yeah, like right at the brainstem at the bottom, um, and they're removing that so that people are more pliable to what they need them to do, be more robotic than they already are.
1: Is that what's down there? Is that the medulla oblongata? I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I, my, my brain knowledge isn't what it once was, and it was high <laughs> people, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yes. So he's kind of discovering now. His assistants telling him it's like they've done it. They've solved the soul, but you know, d's too far along now. Hearing this, he gets quite not upset, but you can see the gears processing, and he picks a side. Finally, he's done fence sitting between I and Eyes uh, Revolution and the and the one state, and he asks his his uh, his assistant. He's just like. All right, when we're ready for the test flight, I want you to fill the rocket up with enough fuel to last for a week's flight, which the guy's just like, that's a lot. That's like way too much fuel for this flight. He's just like, just for safety, we're going to put in way too much fuel. The it, Essentially telling us this is like, he's probably going to give his rocket up to destroy the one state.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: But when it comes to do the test flight, finally, D isn't on it. He's uh, been put under house arrest and... Uh, he's fallen under suspicion of working with the, I guess with the resistance, like people started noticing his liaisons with I, that he's been acting a bit differently. And he's kind of been put uh, under house arrest.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah. But he still has time to do his recordings. So that's good. Under house arrest. You could still do your little, uh, your little recordings.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And he's, he's in there. He's, he's doing his recordings and, um, he, uh, he's filled with quite a bit of rage at this point. At this point, he's like both angry that he's been taken off the flight and he's angry at everything that's happened to him. And he uses a pink ticket to, uh, uh, force a uh, liaison with a woman. We haven't talked about her much, but she's popped up here and there. She seems to be a bit of a bureaucrat and uh, potentially mm-hmm. one of the people who's ratted him out. So he's, he invites her to his uh, his apartment for a, for a liaison in which we get a great scene where the two of them just stand there as the... And we haven't talked about this. You've complained about privacy, but they do have privacy. They have very long Venetian blinds that come down the walls of the glass uh, apartments to block it out. And there's a great scene where they stand there for arguably two minutes while the blinds come down. <laughs>
0: It is funny because I think what it is is they didn't quite have the technology at the time for actual automated blinds. So there's just someone who's slowly bringing these down manually. Um, And in one of the larger, wider shots, they clearly had to do it in a couple takes. Um, uh, And it's just like "Eh, eh, eh," it's very jerky coming down. But, yes, when he's standing with this woman, it's just the two of them kind of grinning at each other for an unbearable amount of time. (laughs) But here's the the thing about this scene is – it's weird because I don't know if I, I – I think she was kind of into the idea of a liaison with him or at least was into the idea of doing what the state wanted because she's a very strong bureaucrat and believes in everything. But this scene gets like very violent and very, very aggressive quickly as it becomes obvious that he's angry at her for possibly ratting him out and also for putting him in this position and he's like actually physically grabs her. Um And I I guess I did at the one point she like sort of takes her top off and is sort of just like have your way with me. And I don't even know if I even understood what what that was. Was that just she's so subservient to the process that even in this in this state, she's still just doing what she
1: what she thinks the the order wants of her. I think you've conflated it a little bit. Is We, the audience, know that he is angry and ready to kill, uh, partly because he says that and partly because he rolls a lead pipe up in a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot to mention that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but when she comes in, he's used the coupon to invite her to his home, and, he, and she's just like, I don't usually see you on these coupons, but, you know, whatever. That's what the coupons are for. He's like, she's like, so I don't know why you've invited me here. And she just kind of wants to get it over with, so that's why you're right. Like, she's sort of like, Starts taking off her top. And as she does, she, like, covers her eyes, obviously, to remove her shirt. And it's at that point that uh, Dee's going to beat her head in with, uh, with the lead pipe. Um, so she doesn't fully realize what's coming to her immediately. But D can't go through it. He, he freaks out. He can't actually kill her. He's uh he's very upset with kind of everything, I think. Not just the one state, but, you know, also how he's been manipulated and just kind of how he's been now caught and left swinging in the wind uh, by I. And so he... he Ends up not being able to go through with the murder But he, he gets at least the information That she did in fact rat him out uh, Or at least is one of the people within the one state Who has sort of like brought attention to his thing And she's, she's read his, um, his Notes, she's read his record that he's been Writing but she hasn't told uh, Anyone about I yet She's just like I, I told on you but I haven't Mentioned I yet and uh, as she's Saying all this his phone starts to ring And he picks it up and uh, it's the Benefactor, mm-hmm. he's being invited to Meet the one on top which we've, I think,
0: at this point in the movie, we have seen him earlier. They have like a scene where it's a very much like a political rally, uh, type thing. Where I
1: thought it was more of a church service, perhaps,
0: perhaps something like that. Where there's someone, this benefactor, who's up at an exalted status. He's up higher. He's in a chair on this sort of like pyramid of glass, and they're all sort of chanting what he says and blah blah blah. So yes, you're right. There's like a uh, version of church or something like that. Like yeah, a, yeah, yeah.
1: How could you forget Jordan? He executes that nude man.
0: That's true. And uh and you see his testicles. Um and um he sort of like wears like a black cloak that sort of comes up like with like a weird baggy turtleneck that kind of covers most of his face. Um at least in the first time we see him. It's
1: it's all black and it's like he's like a dog who's not supposed to look his stitches. He's got a cone, a <laughs> yeah, black right. cone that comes up and like not like it's right up to his under his nose you can't see his lower face so it's really great when when d goes to see the benefactor finally to discuss his uh, his potential betrayal the uh, the benefactor takes off that like turtleneck cone sort of thing and reveals the most beautiful mustache you've ever seen
0: i know it made me laugh because it was just like uh, he was a much more intimidating figure when he was wearing you know he's darth vader before then he takes it off and you're like oh it's
1: wilford brimley (laughs) it's quite it's quite the epic mustache uh at any rate the uh the benefactor kind of just chews him out uh not so much for betraying them but for being so easily manipulated by the dissidents and Mm -hmm. like it's it's just a real it's a real drumming out by your boss basically and it, it d starts crying he runs off quite upset and he's like running through the halls and he uh goes back to the ancient house because he figures he'll find I there. And when he confronts I, he like accuses her of like manipulating him and like, you know, using him for her own ends and like everything that's happened. It, it's really great. This is, re- this is a real noir moment where I kind of just like, yeah, I, I can't be concerned with one man's happiness. Like I'm here to bring happiness to everyone. Like hmm. if I had to manipulate you to do that, I was going to like, I, I appreciate that you think I'm like on the side of like freedom and happiness, but like, and I am, but, like, not yours, uh, everyone's.
0: Yeah, she's basically like, yeah, so you might be collateral damage, big deal. It's
1: like, this is a war we're fighting, uh, get mm-hmm. over it, D. Yeah,
0: and he's just like, but,
1: but I'm really skinny. He's like, super skinny, huh? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, he, he hasn't had a lot to eat in that, so just that slime, just that black slime. <laughs> it's just, yeah, exactly. Anyway, D, D is having a bit of a built out now. He's like, you know, he's lost faith in the one state, but he's also like, has nothing on the other side like the the revolution isn't on his side either he's he's kind of a man without a state now if you will and he we see him having a bit of meltdown he's like on the stairs to like the uh the um, benefactor's throne like crying and like flopping around like he's a child having a tantrum and his coworker comes by and his coworker starts talking to him his coworker is very funny his coworker doesn't seem to notice he's upset at all he just starts talking to him like about work stuff <laughs> Uh, but his yeah. co is like, hey, great news. I've been working on this thing on, in my off hours, and I think I've proven that the universe isn't infinite, but that the universe is finite. Uh, so if I can prove that with my math, uh, that's the end of philosophy. They can eat it. I, I've proven there's no infinite, so a philosophy can, uh, can go ahead and uh, die. And I'm just like, what? Uh, okay, sure, why not? Well, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I didn't even really
0: track that. There's a lot of lines where they're like throat stuff like that. I almost think to some effect it's, it gets in the way. And I think you're right. I think it's like a literal translation of the book. So you have this, uh, this adaptation that's very close. There's a lot of stuff they're adding in. We are just like, I've done this. There's this math about this. And they talk about this thing. I'm like, I I don't, I don't care guys. Just let's, let's get, let's get onto it.
1: Back, back to, back to the blinds. I mean, the purpose of it really is, is that someone else has come along to tell D about some great idea they've had that's outside of the norm. This one's a little more on the one state side, but like D just can't take any more ideas. He's just like, I can't I can't hear any more ideas. I can't hear ever, everyone's got some great idea they're working on. And that's led me down a path. And so what we see is D, D's flipping out. He's weeping. And we cut to D at the doctor's office. He's decided yeah. to have the procedure it's unclear if he's decided or he's being forced to, but I feel like he's probably decided to have the procedure, which will burn out his imagination. Oh, and I quickly should mention, I, I, I the reason I said that the doctor
0: like that who was like overacting, he's part of the forest people. Just, yes, just yes, let you yes. know, I, I forgot to mention that. But yes, I think he has volunteered. Um, our, our D, our, our protagonist here has volunteered. Uh, for this procedure, which essentially looks like it's shock treatment of some sort, um, I'm guessing it might be the the thing where they remove part of the brain. It's not quite clear, but what it is is it's like a fishbowl on his head with some kind of tube sticking out, and he he is biting something so he doesn't you know uh, bite his tongue off, and he he is going through the convulsions of being shocked.
1: I liked it because he's the actor's also like spitting up so much saliva it's painting the inside of the. Uh... Of the fishbowl, and I'm like, this guy's going for it. He's going for this, like, getting your imagination burnt out the back of your head. Yeah, and I'll say,
0: I think the lead actor does a very good job of, um mostly at this point in the movie, this, like, conflict he's having internally about his belief system and uh, having everything he knows being questioned, and the sort of panic of that. I think he does a really good job
1: yeah yeah he's a very good actor i was also quite impressed with him there's because it's all internal like this entire movie mm-hmm. the plot isn't very forward. For, i guess it's not the front of the movie is the plot so you're really seeing a person's like personal internal struggle play out and he does a good job with that yeah agreed uh, anyway, after he gets his imagination burnt out, we cut to D back in his apartment. He's uh, at his dictaphone, continuing his record, but now he has this huge grin on his face. He's so happy now, and he can't believe that he ever wrote the first 200 pages of that record. He doesn't feel like a, he could have ever been the person who wrote like what we've seen up till now, essentially. like he, he, He's been so changed that he's, uh, now he's just happy. His head is, I believe he says, my head feels, quote, light and empty.
0: And, I mean, there's something interesting there. It is he—there's no questioning he is happy, and he's so happy because he—there's nothing. There's there's no angst. There's no uh, worry. There's nothing because he's essentially like a child
1: at this point. And before he had the operation, he hadn't ever betrayed I or any of the people he met, like the doctor who were part of this sort of quiet revolution. Um, but once he had the, the procedure done— he, he confessed easily. He told uh, he told the benefactor who all the malcontents contents were. He doesn't know why he didn't before. Like, you know, the conflict he had in his brain is gone. So he happily gives everybody up. And um, basically, the benefactor just like, great, thank you for that. And he starts talking about how anyone who hasn't now volunteered for the imagination operation is now being rounded up. Like kind of all these final people mm-hmm. who won't submit willingly are going to be forced to have it. And um He's so excited. It's so funny seeing him at the end because he's just smiling. He's grinning so wide. Like, it's the wildest grin on his face. And as he's getting di- the dictaphone, he, he tells us, the audience, he's just like, it's been so good, he's even been invited to the benefactor's table that night for the, quote, famous guest chamber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, that sounds not good. Yeah, yeah. And what we get to see is... uh he sits there happily smiling as I is tortured by the benefactor in this gas chamber for additional information about the rebellion. But um, unlike D, she's a true believer in the revolution and won't give anything up. So she she kind of uh, takes takes the punishment and doesn't give it up. And we're we're told her and uh, quite a few of her um, confidants, the other people in the revolution, have been executed in the in the following scenes after this.
0: Yeah, uh, I'd say comrades. Comrades, um, thank and you. Uh, uh, and, but they do mention that the doctor uh, that we met uh, wasn't nearly as strong, and he gave up a bunch of other names. They they drop that in that like they're like, don't worry, we got everyone.
1: I mean, you could tell when you saw him that scene because you you could see he was too <laughs> he was too animated. He was too willing to give it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the movie kind of comes to a conclusion with D back at his dictaphone, kind of narrating kind of an end to the movie for us. And what he sort of discusses is that um, while we don't see it. In the In the aftermath of the executions, uh, revolutions have broken out across the the city. The walls are coming down in various parts, like the outside is spilling into the glass city. The guardian is trying to maintain order via like um, military acts and like cutting off parts of the city but it, it sounds like it's not going very well. It sounds like uh, the, the the one state is collapsing but uh, D isn't too worried about it now that he's uh, happy again he's just he's smiling there, just having a great time and as he finishes his uh sort of conclusion narration, a buzzer goes off indicating it uh, lights out, it's bedtime, and uh, the actor D turns and looks right down the camera and wishes you, the viewer, a good night. Yeah, and it was a good ending. Good ending to it. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you know we or i or both of us however you want to do this listener we've cut a bunch of characters out of this description there's there's a bunch there's like a stalker who's following i around there's uh there's there's the friend of d who went to school with him there's d's uh first girlfriend we don't talk about there's the bureaucrat who pops up now and then there's a lot of characters that we've just left out of the description just to like streamline this because it is it's quite Mm -hmm. convoluted in that it's probably a very faithful adaptation but a lot of characters don't necessarily have like key parts to play
0: yeah yeah there's just there's like i mean there's like we didn't talk about s4 710 we didn't talk about 090 or r13 or d504 like there's a ton of characters but i th- i think this is uh <laughs> in some ways luke this is this is a much more interesting i would hope thing to listen to than to actually watch the movie which is like it's it's not a terribly easy watch i think partially as as an English speaker watching something in German, which is fine, I don't mind watching something with subtitles and stuff. But something to to double that layer that, as you said, this is not a plot uh, forward sort of movie. So it's an i a lot of ideas that are coming at you. It's like here's a character, they're dropping some exposition so that you can have another idea and stuff. And it's 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 fine like that, but it's not the uh, the most free flowing TV show you're ever gonna watch.
1: I know we didn't even get to talk about the glass subway car they commute on.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, what I liked about about it the most was that they still had the, held the little handle. Yeah, yeah. You still
1: have the ones hanging from the ceiling, so you can stand while you're yeah. the subway. <laughs> that's. I right. mean, yeah. So it, we've we've really condensed it, and I think it just helps to have a conversation about it because there's a lot of scenes that uh, not necessarily repeats, but for D, his emotional journey is the core, and it like he doesn't give in easily. That we see a lot of him slowly, slowly breaking, and it's not even like because it's an interior emotional journey we have to like read into scenes to understand what's going on because it's not like it's like clear plot or clear mechanics to get him forward it's really about one man's kind of slow breaking as he as he comes to realize where he is isn't good and then when he comes to realize that he's been manipulated so it's an interesting like psychological study but it it's hard to describe in some ways <laughs> i would agree with that
0: yeah it's it's i th- i think the the closest thing is like you said to the beginning it it looks and feels very much like like a play but in some ways almost like a uh, like a one-person play even though it's not like is it's so focused on on his viewpoint
1: yeah let's they like got a good guy to play the main guy because you have spent so much time with him <laughs> agreed agreed he was a really good actor well jordan unless you have any final notes on we do you want to do you want to rate it yeah let's rate it why don't you go first sure uh yeah i mean it's interesting i think certainly from a modern perspective and like uh you know Certainly what I'm used to watching, it's uh, maybe it may be a little North American centric, but it's, it's it can be a bit of a slog, a bit of a drag at times because it's just like not plot heavy driven. I realized what writing up my notes is that there's a plot there and it actually is interestingly like fairly close to like a noir in some ways. Like it did feel when I realized I was writing up like, oh, this is basically a noir of manipulation and being put into situations you're not sure about. But, you know, you have to kind of get through the dense text and, like, the ideas and the monologuing and kind of the emotional conversations. So it it can be a bit of a slog. I thought it was very—I still thought it was interesting, but, you know, not the the easiest to watch. So I'm going to give it 6.5.
0: Yeah, I feel very similar. I I think particularly the performance for the lead actor was very good. I think it was a hard role to do um, to emote. A lot of interior feelings, especially when you're someone at the first half of the movie who doesn't really emote a lot. And to be able to get that across the actor, I thought was really good. I think some of the sets and stuff were kind of cool looking and some of the effects they tried. You know, you have to give a little bit of allowance for the really, really low budget. Um, And some of them were kind of comical, some of the effects. Uh, But I would agree. I think I liked it more in the second half when things started getting going. And I thought the first half was was pretty slow and I think it would have it would have been to the show's benefit to have had maybe not so faithful adaptation of a book um because sometimes I'm just like well I could just go read the book which is what I'd like to do after this because I'd like to see how how um how that how closely it's uh, aligned with this um but yes as a tv show uh, or a tv movie it, it can be a bit a bit trying at times and and pretty slow uh i'm gonna be very slim. i'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Six out of ten
1: yeah i kind of want to give it more but it's because i liked it i actually really did enjoy watching it and, and thinking about it
0: i agree i i like the ideas yeah it's just it's just i think the presentation it's like the ideas are really interesting and the way it's presented is interesting it's just that the actual overall package is like a little bit boring
1: yeah, I think you have to know what you're getting into if you're going to sit down to enjoy. It. You have to understand it's going to be not quite what you're expecting. It's it's yeah, more of a play less concerned with traditional television narrative structures where you're like, "We need a fistfight every 10 minutes or I'm going to get bored." Yeah. You do get to see a lot of genitals though. Yeah, so if you're into that, if you like <laughs> genitals, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. But uh, I guess that about wraps it up. Uh, interesting watch, Jordan. Not necessarily a home mm-hmm. run. I was hoping we'd get a little more of um, – what was the other TV movie we saw by the Ursula uh, Ursula Gwynn TV movie?
0: Um, oh, Lath of Heaven. Lath of Heaven. Lath of Heaven. I was hoping yeah.
1: we might get a little more Lath of Heaven, an apt adaptation that was uh, a little more interesting. And it's not bad. It's not bad, but it's it's got its own look. It's got its own special feel. But it's a, it's a little more, I think, uh, viewer be warned if you go in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, similar sort of idea. I think, like you're saying, the, the Lathe of Heaven maybe was executed a little bit better in terms of how to make a very idea-heavy movie move along a little better. This, I think, had the restraints hurt it a little bit, but not a bad thing. But I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a narrow window of people that may want to watch this 1982 adaptation.
1: Well, let's wrap this up, Jordan. Um, of course, as as we do at the end of every episode, we tell you about bonus episodes for charity. We have an initiative right now where we have some charities on our website as selected by past guests. If you make a donation to one of those charities, we'll go back and watch an episode of your choosing from a show that we've either taken the escape pod from or if it's in a best of series where we've missed some episodes of uh, of sliders per se. We didn't watch the whole series, so there might be an episode you want us to go back and watch there. You can get all the details on our website, continuandrag at gmail.com. And of course, if you have any questions Questions, email us at ContinuumDrag at gmail.com. Oh, did I say that twice? I might have. You did. Uh, The website is ContinuumDrag.Podbean.com. And, of course, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're going to have clips from Weir. So you can see uh, all the set design, all the crazy effects. Honestly, I know they're low budget. I know they're cheap. I I think it's better because they're trying to do something. It has its own unique look. I've never quite seen anything quite like it. They weren't like, oh, we don't have enough money, so let's like at least try to do Star Wars, but like with no money. They're just like, we can't do anything, so let's just get crazy with it. And they do get crazy with it.
0: Yeah, lots of glass cubes. Uh, you got a guy who's got a big mustache. That's got to be in there
1: yeah absolutely oh the mustache the big mustache reveal will be in there so uh, those clips will be interesting you can see those at continuum drags the handle on all our social media but that wraps it up so uh listener thank you for joining us and jordan i'll see you next week see you then continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario and seoul south korea theme music by james rick Seidler, produced by jordan Dalek and luke black special thanks to aaron yunes